it's really easy to forget to eat or drink when the racing is really stressful. Maybe it's just also really hectic in the feed zone and or it's maybe difficult to, to get to the car in time. Yeah, I think the next day the effort just feels higher than what it should for the intensity. So maybe just like a more general tired feeling. That's how I would feel the next day. Hello and welcome to The Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. My name is Alan McCubbin. I'm an accredited sports dietitian, lecturer and researcher in sports nutrition at Monash University in Melbourne. And I'm joined as always by my colleague, fellow sports dietitian and researcher, Steph Gaskell. How's lockdown week two, Steph? Lockdown week two. Do you know pros and cons I'm finding with with this? Let's start with pros. Pros, I'm loving the ability to go out and do a run whenever I can, like whenever I like, Um, and hanging out with my little coop dog. Uh, And then also being able to just nail down and get a whole heap of lectures that I'm kind of behind in. That's been really lovely. Um, You want cons? Yeah. Yep. You've already told me one off air. Oh, yeah. Um, As in, you went for a run with Cooper. Now what's he done? <laughs> He's, um, so we went trail running and obviously today being wet and muddy and I did the washing, the linen, and then so my bed hasn't been made. So he's jumped on my bed all like it was all white and now it is just filthy and muddy. So my flatmate has been laughing at me. <laughs> The other one is ordering too much Uber Eats Mm, Mm. and ordering Uber Eats and my study, um, I want to get back to to cracking on with the study participants. So, you know, pros and cons. Okay. So with the Uber Eats, is this about supporting the economy and those people who are struggling (laughs) to to get work at the moment or is it other motives? Probably if I was doing that, maybe I shouldn't order through Uber Eats and I should pro- I should really order directly through the cafe, shouldn't I? True, yeah. Mm, I have yeah. been doing that too. Um, no, it's me being lazy and not, and not going out and just, yeah, I yeah. don't know, rewarding, rewarding myself. Yeah, well, the weather's kind of appropriate for it as well. It's not very pleasant in Melbourne in the last few days. Mm-hmm. What have you been up to? You've been marking a lot of exams. Oh, yeah, attempting to. We've got two kids in lockdown, so it's homeschooling them and then attempting to mark, which is kind of the lockdowns happen at the worst possible time in terms mm. of workload, in terms of uni stuff. And then uh, one of the units I teach had an exam today, so I've now got all of that to mark as well. So, mm. yeah, fun and games, but that's, you know, end of semester madness as, as it always is. And then, yeah. you know, after that comes the, the calm after the storm, so to speak. So. Yeah, it'll be yeah crazy busy for a couple of weeks, and then it'll it'll yeah. settle down again, which will be settle nice. Settle down. And hopefully, mm-hmm. it looks like fingers crossed that lockdown is going to end at the end of this week, as originally was well, as sort of planned last week. So, uh, if that mm. happens, you'll get back in the lab. I'll get back in the lab, and we'll mm. all be happy. Yeah, exactly. Yep, mm. sounds good. Cool. 
All right, well, here on the Long Munch, we take a deep dive into the most common nutrition questions that runners, cyclists, and triathletes ask, the, the kind of stuff that people are always uh, talking about and, and often round and round in circles and, and not coming to a conclusion before, um, or, you know, reading all sorts of conflicting ideas and advice online and those sorts of things. So the, the idea is that we break these down, invite a guest expert in our A episodes and an athlete in our B episodes to add their perspective on the particular question that we're asking. And today, Steph, it is episode 13B, and it's a continuation of our discussion last week, and the question is, how do I plan for my multi-day event? So last week, of course, we had James Moran from um, Ineos Grenadiers and also the UNOX um, pro cycling teams. Uh, so he gave us a really good insight, I guess, into how things are done at the, the top level of professional cycling when you have a massive budget and, and all of those um, resources at your disposal. But we also talked a little bit about how that might translate for, uh, you know, people who aren't working at that professional level have to sort of cater for themselves, uh, don't have that kind of uh, resource to invest. Uh, and tonight we are going to have a bit more insight into um, another aspect of, of cycling and professional cycling, in this case women's cycling, uh, with our special guest Leah Kirchman, who's a Canadian pro cyclist. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll give a bit of an intro to Leah at the, uh, in a minute, but uh, yeah, no, great to have her on board and great to hear uh, a bit from her perspective as well. Yeah, looking forward to, looking forward to that one. Um, and I know cycling is kind of your uh, neck of the woods. You love watching the um, the, the stages, and um, you know you've done a lot of nutrition support for for um, cyclists all the way from recreational to elite level. So yeah, this mm. this one will be a good one and good one for me to learn um, in as well. Yeah, and I mean, I guess the principles here we're talking about obviously multi day events. Uh, and, and our examples are from professional cycling, but the, the basic nutrition principles obviously are the same no matter whether you're running, doing a mountain bike race, road cycling event, um, or some sort of you know multi-sport adventure race type thing. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the basic principles will be exactly the same. So, uh, it's just how it's applied that I guess will be a little bit different from, from one sport to the next. Yep, yep. And we've had some um, shout-outs, haven't we, Alan? Yeah, sure have. Uh, first one through Instagram from Brenda Hutchinson, who is a um, someone I worked with a long time ago, um, and she was contacting us, letting us know that she's actually preparing for Melbourne Marathon number 13. Ooh. Uh, great effort, Brenda. Um, so Brenda works or has done some work with uh, Cantu, which is a cancer-related charity Um that have a whole bunch of people enter either Ironman events or marathon events, including the Melbourne Marathon, obviously. And and Brenda's been a, a leader within that group for a very long time and, and supported a lot of people who have literally never run a marathon in their life to, to get to being able to do the 42.2K distance um, and raise a whole bunch of money for, for cancer charities. So um, great to, to hear from you, Brenda. Um, but you had a specific question relating back to episode 6A with Dr. Tim Crow around why nutrition is so confusing uh, and the, the fact that we talked a bit about um, in that episode how individual uh, people's responses can be. Uh, and then I guess 
you know, if we're thinking about things like guidelines and, and the results of studies and things like that, where do we go with that? If, if everyone's responses are so individual, how can you ever make kind of plans and, and goals around that? Um, and, and where do you go from there? Uh, and I guess it's true, you know, we, we think about uh, research studies and we report those and we generally report the averages or the means of, of the results. Uh, and it's true that not everyone follows the, the same direction or the same outcome as, as the average of, of all of the people joined together in the study. You know, some have a maybe a much bigger response, some have a much smaller response. You know, we talk with Dr. Lewis James about hydration just as one example where probably the um, the amount of uh, body mass loss from from um, fluid losses that people can tolerate before performance is impaired may actually be quite different from one person to the next, but it's it's hard to figure that out. And of course, then guidelines, you know, you know all the guidelines we have around sports nutrition and, and our general recommendations are based off of those studies where the, the averages or the means are reported. And so essentially we're designing guidelines for, for the, the average person who hits kind of the average results of, of those kind of studies. Um, so I guess there's a couple of ways to answer this. We'll, we'll get your take on it as well, Steph. But um, I guess the, the thing I would start off with, and I often to talk to people about this, is I, I think about a, a quote from Pirates of the Caribbean, actually, um, where the, the pirates have their sort of unwritten pirate rules that they have to follow. And uh, at one stage, one of the pirates breaks a rule and someone turns around to them and says, well, hang on, don't you have to follow you know, the pirate code? And he said, oh, they're not really rules. They're more like guidelines. Uh, and, and, you know, our nutrition guidelines are the same. They're not strict rules that you have to follow and do exactly to the letter of the guideline. They're a, a starting point. Mm. Um, and then you, you individualise things from there. And I think this really came out back in episode 12 when we were talking with, with the three athletes about how they um, prepare for, a, um, you know, how they do their nutrition for an, an ultra distance event. Um, so whether it was ultra marathon, 24-hour mountain biking or Ironman. And I think the thing that came out from all three of those guests was the fact that, you know, you kind of just have to experiment. You know, there's a, a deal of experiment experimentation in there. You know, you can use the guidelines as a starting point, but ultimately you're going to have to go out there, try something, get that feedback from what you're trying, make adjustments and do it again. Uh, and, and, you know, in a lot of cases, you, as you said, you're not going to get it right on the first go and it's just a matter of refining it over time. And, mm. you know, for those guys, some of them are, are world-class athletes in their field. They're still refining what they're doing, um, yeah. you know, even after several years of, of competing. So, um, yeah, we're not – we certainly don't think people are necessarily going to get it perfect the first time and, and you know, your needs change over time as well. But, mm. I mean, I guess that's the role of um, – you know, sports dietitians um, that have experience in the field and working with a particular sport is you, you bring that experience in terms of how you might sort of massage around those guidelines as at least as a starting point. And so I think, you know, often um, having that professional help might allow you to get a starting point that's maybe closer to where you need to end up um, mm -hmm. by having that sort of interpretation of guidelines rather than starting with a, a very, you know, if someone's just doing that themselves, a very literal uh, view of the guideline and starting with that, whereas maybe someone with a bit more experience would um, would start in a, in a slightly different place and actually get you there a bit faster. Mm. Yep, spot on. Okay, um, and we also had someone else contact us. Yeah, yep. We were looking this up before to make sure, Alan, that we were um, going to pronounce the name correctly. So hopefully we we have. So it's Riona. Uh, yep. So 
Riona Courtney is a um, senior sports nutritionist. I uh, think she's based in Scotland. And um, Ireland, she I think. just. Ireland? Maybe she's, yeah. Maybe she's in Scotland. Um, yeah. Yeah. She, she said she was preparing some athletes for an ultra in Scotland, but. Okay. Um, but maybe. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, she was just thanking us for, for the episodes. Uh, she wanted to have a look at the gut assessment that we uh, have spoken about previously in the episodes. And um, she is also going to be undertaking her first 60 kilometres in September uh, in Ireland. So, so you're right, she's, she's based in Ireland. Um, so, yeah, she just uh, said that the information we've been presenting has been useful and been useful to, um, you know, help out the athletes that she's been working with in, in endurance sports. So that's fantastic. We're happy that that's been of benefit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So thanks for the feedback, Riona. Uh, and I'm glad you, you found it useful. Uh, and I guess if anyone else out there has uh, specific questions that they'd like answered, uh, either in this kind of format or sort of got a, a bigger question that you think might make a good topic for a podcast, we'd certainly love to hear from you. You can contact us at The Long Munch on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram uh, and get in touch with us that way. And, and certainly we, we love all, all kinds of feedback or suggestions for, for episode topics and all that sort of thing. So we'd love, love to hear from you. Um, and yeah, we've we've had a few suggestions that we're sort of got in the pipelines of, of making into episodes, which is great. It was just a matter of teeing up guests, which at the moment with the Olympics coming up is a bit of a challenge at some mm. sometimes. But uh, yeah, we'll we do the best we'll that we there. can. Yep, yep. Awesome. Let's um, find out a bit about Leah. Yeah. So as I said earlier, our guest today is Leah Kirchman. Uh, and Leah is a professional cyclist, uh, rides currently with uh, the DSM pro cycling team um, based over in Europe. But uh, Leah is Canadian uh, and has represented Canada at the 2016 Rio Olympics um, in cycling uh, and has been on the professional scene for, uh, I think, almost 10 years now. Uh, and she's had some some pretty impressive results over that time at some, some big races, things like uh, La Course by La Tour de France, for example, she's been on the podium there twice, um, and and a bunch of other stuff as well. So um, we'll we'll get into a little bit more about that during the interview, um, and a little bit more into her sort of background. She's um, someone who's actually done some study in nutrition as part of her undergrad uh, university studies as well. Um, and I got in contact with Leah because, um, like, I was aware that she was sort of. Uh, following us on social media and I knew from from following her on social media that she had a really strong interest in nutrition uh, interest in cooking and we'll talk to her a little bit about that because um, her her ride snacks are pretty pretty damn impressive I've got to say um, she puts a lot of time and effort into it as I think a few of the uh, the, the ladies in the women's world tour in cycling tend to do, um, you know, long hours on the bike, uh, you want to have food that's going to not only meet your nutrition needs, but be enjoyable as well, um, is obviously going to be important. So yeah, it makes, makes total sense. Um, but yeah, it was, it was great to, to speak to Leah. She's obviously done a lot of stage racing over the years. So it was great to get her experience of, of how she sees that, um, what happens when it can go wrong. Um, what are some of the sort of the tips and advice that she has, whether you're a recreational or professional cyclist, 
um, yeah, and, and a bit of a, a bit of a point of comparison too with, I guess, you know, sort of the big budget Ineos Grenadiers sort of men's program um, and, and the Grand Tours, you know, the three-week races that they have for the, the men's world tour um, to see what, what changes uh, with, with the women's world tour as well. Awesome. Let's uh, find out a bit more about Leah and her competition. Yeah, awesome. Let's get into it. So, Leah Kirchman, welcome to the Long Munch. How are you going over there in Spain? What's been happening? Yeah, I've been doing great. Um, enjoying an altitude camp in, here in Sierra Nevada, here with uh, some other Canadians, and it's uh, going really well. Yeah, awesome. And I, I've seen a little bit on, on Instagram, some uh, pretty nice views out there, pretty amazing scenery. Yeah, absolutely. I love being in the mountains and so many so many great views and places to explore yeah awesome and and imagine like on an altitude camp you probably at, at least get a little bit more time to enjoy the fact that you're there rather than in a race situation where you're just sort of flat out and you don't really get much time to take in the surroundings and then you're you're off to recovery and the next stage and everything i guess on at least on a training camp you probably get at least a little bit of downtime to enjoy that kind of stuff yeah absolutely yeah we have a little a little more time you can you know really enjoy your rest days here and like I, I just came back from a little little walk in the nature and yeah like you said there's a little more time to look around and appreciate things yeah awesome and um i mean i guess you know professional cycling there's a lot of travel involved for for races um obviously you're from canada um, but then you know a lot of your travel is is around europe and things is that like, I mean, compared to other sports, when you speak to people, um, do you find that you guys are probably traveling a bit more freely than a lot of other sports? Uh, I think so. And I, especially thinking to last year, I think we were one of the sports that returned first to traveling and to competing. Um, so we're doing that quite a bit earlier than, than other people and other athletes. Um, and now, yeah, I think we're, we are still some of the most, most traveled athletes for sure. Mm, yeah. Well, it's good that you guys are sort of able to, to continue on, you know, doing what you do, which is, which is great. And, um, I mean, obviously there's been a, some riders test positive at various stages and, you know, teams having to leave races and things, but probably not as bad as you might otherwise have expected, I suppose. Yeah, I think I definitely had, I mean, reservations when we first returned to racing and as we were all trying to figure out how do we operate and live within a pandemic and how do you safely hold um, sports events and, and travel and within this this new kind of world. Um, so, but now I, um, I agree with you that, yeah, seeing how it's going mostly well and when there are positive cases, we are catching them and I don't feel that we're contributing a lot to the, the widespread um, of the of the virus so um, yeah I think we've we've learned a lot about how to how to operate as athletes and um, events in the last months for sure yeah cool um, so obviously in in cycling I mean most people that are involved in cycling will understand that there's kind of specialities in terms of riders excelling in you know sprint stages or, or mountaintop finishes or, or time trials and things like that um, where, where do you kind of feel that you sort of sit in in that spectrum 
I'm I'm quite an all-rounder as a rider. Um, I think when I first started racing, I was more of a pure sprinter. But over the years, I've, I've definitely developed my, my skills and, yeah, sprinting and climbing and time trialing. So definitely all-around. Yeah, I, know, I was going to say, because looking like back historically through results, I mean, I can see, you know, you had podiums at La Course by La Tour de France, obviously uh, a big race, but the first one back in 2014 was on the Champs-Élysées, which is a flat sprint stage. Uh, but then in 2019, mm-hmm. and, uh, Steph and I were having a look at the uh, the highlights of that the other day. Geez, that ramp at the end was steep where you got <laughs> in that race. Um, so, you know, two very, very different styles. And then, as you said, you know, time trialling, um, you, you're generally at the pointy end of most of the time trials these days as well. So that, that's great. So in terms of 2021 for you, uh, for the rest of the year, what's kind of on your agenda competition-wise? I imagine, you know, the Olympics with the Canadian team will be one. But in terms of other things, are you looking at sort of Giro or World Champs or possibly even the uh, the Paris-Roubaix first year for women as well? What, what's... What's on your plan, you know, obviously depending on what happens, um, but what's, what's the goals? Yeah, um, it's actually quite a busy season still, lots of, lots of races and goals coming up. Um, like you mentioned, um, well, first after this camp, I'll, I'll race La Course again um, by the Tour de France, um, then use the Giro as my final prep towards the Olympics. Um, then after that, it's still quite a busy season. Um, yeah, quite a lot of world tour races still. I'll do the world championships in Belgium. And then, um, yeah, some races have been moved into October. So, you know, the, the women's tour in the UK is, is a huge event. And I always love racing that one. It's super well supported and run. And um, yeah, Perry roubaix is, is now in October. And um, I'll hopefully also be on the start line for that one. So lots of lots of goals coming up. How are you feeling about the cobbles? Well, I did a recon in the spring, and um, yeah, it's they're totally different from anything I've ever raced on. They're not like the the Belgian or the Dutch cobbles. They're they're definitely a little more off off road feeling. <laughs> so it'll be um, quite a, a hard race. And there's just the sections also just come like right after each other. So. You don't get a lot of recovery anywhere in that race. Yeah, fair enough. The cobbles certainly, um, you know, so when you see the close-up photos, you see that they really show their age, I guess, when they were laid, you know, compared to some of the cobbles you get in, as you said, in, in Belgium or Holland or something like that. Um, now, I know from social media you have a, a really strong interest in nutrition. Um, you've, you've also done a little bit of study in nutrition as well yourself. Was there anything particular that kind of sparked that interest for you? Um, yeah, I was thinking about it. Um, I think I've always been really interested in food and cooking since I was really young and learned a lot just from being around my parents and my grandma, always cooked these amazing meals and kind of helped me develop this positive relationship with food. And then I think I developed my interest really in the science of nutrition uh, while I was completing my undergrad degree. And um, I attended Quest University, which is, it's a small liberal arts and college, um, arts and sciences institute in, in Squamish, BC in Canada. And if you have, I know you have cyclists listening, it's, it's also really well known for mountain biking in this, this area. <laughs> um, 
But basically, it's a this school had a really unique program where you get to shape your own degree. And I really decided to focus on the role of nutrition and health and also looked into, you know, the role of public policies and, and shaping the food environment and, and human behavior and how this can improve health outcomes. Um, and yeah, ever since then, I think I just really love to learn <laughs> and I love everything about nutrition. So I've been... Um, you know, just always reading and, and taking courses and, um, you know, applying concepts to, to my own um, training and racing and just learning that way. Um, and, yeah, I think just everything about nutrition is really fascinating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, awesome. Is that something you see as, you know, a potential career for you post-cycling? Yeah, I think I... I would really per- enjoy pursuing something something related to nutrition after my cycling career. Mm, yeah, and certainly from social media, I really get the impression that that a lot of um, female cyclists at that world tour level have a really strong interest in nutrition and in in cooking and the the sort of interaction between those two. Uh, and, and I don't know about you, Steph, but I've certainly found over the last fifteen years working in the industry that. I mean, it's a bit of a generalisation, but I'd say overall I find that female athletes are generally much more interested in and invested in their nutrition than male athletes. Do you Is that something that you notice as well? That is, yeah, that's really interesting that you, you notice this um, because I think at the highest level, I think that men and women are maybe equally invested in their nutrition. Um but at least from what I've seen, and I think at a certain level in sport, you you have to be if you if you want to get the most out of your out of your training and and your racing. Um, but maybe it takes the men a little bit longer to to <laughs> m- get to that realization. <laughs> if I just yeah, think back to maybe uptake. my my junior days and developing, I'm like, okay, maybe the women were uh, focused on it a little bit earlier. <laughs> Do you see that as well, Steph? I was actually going to say no. Like I've actually in ultra endurance for running, I've actually I think generally get more males um, okay. than than females for for ultra endurance running for um, for whatever reason that is. Um, like I still get females, but it seems to be yeah a little bit more um, males than than the females. Yeah. yeah, I remember looking back through my my client list over years. Um, and looking at it, it was kind of a 50-50 male-female split. But then when I look at the sports they're coming from, they're not 50-50 in terms of participation. So I sort yeah. of thinking females look like they're sort of over-representative in terms of the people that come to see me versus what's participating in, in the actual events themselves. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, our topic today is, is nutrition around sort of multi-day events, uh, and that obviously can be in a variety of sports, whether it's road cycling like... Um, like you do, Leah, or, or mountain biking or, or running, as, as you've done, Steph, as well. Um, obviously, with uh, nutrition for multi-day events, and particularly in, in pro cycling, I guess there's been a lot of publicity over the last probably 10 years or so around sort of the, the big kitchen trucks and the Michelin star chefs and, and all this kind of stuff uh, for the men's world tour events, particularly, the, I guess, the grand tours. And we, we spoke to, to James Moran from Ineos Grenadiers about this in our, in our previous episode. Um, but, but I guess outside of those sort of big three-week races in the men's tour, I don't think things are quite as glamorous. Do you want to tell us a little bit about 
your experience, Leah, with, with the teams that you've ridden with and, and what kind of setups that you experience for, for races that you do? Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, I think it looks a little bit different than maybe the, the men's um, stage racing setup. Um, but I think the, the women's side of the sport is, is developing quite rapidly. Um, and I think that's also changing, you know, the, the level of support within the teams and maybe having access to the, those extras, like having a, a chef at the race or something like this. Um, but I wouldn't say that's a, a very common occurrence right now on the women's side of the sport. Um yeah, we, we occasionally, say, have a, a chef with us at, at team camps and at a, a few of the bigger one-day races. Um, but I would say in in general, um, yeah, my, my current team and I would say most teams still rely on, on what you're getting from just the, the race hotels and what's provided by the races. Um, and I would say this can be quite it's quite hit and miss as to what you actually get for race food where you know some races are amazing and have this fresh food and so much variety and well others you know it's really just you're getting overcooked pasta and chicken and maybe some vegetables (laughs) um but so it can really feel like um yeah when you get one of those good hotels it feels a bit like winning the lottery (laughs) so you really enjoy it yeah Um, and do you ever find you have to kind of take things into your own hands because you're like oh geez that's no good we're gonna have to do something ourselves uh there has been cases like this yeah where teams our teams realize like okay this isn't this isn't enough we need to maybe step in here and supplement a few things um just to make sure the riders are, are getting getting the right food for the race um and i guess one example where like the teams normally do do already come prepared is like for breakfast so i think it's pretty common every single team has a a breakfast box um and you know at least you know wherever you are whatever hotel you're at you can always have the same options for your breakfast which is quite an important meal for the race Mm. yeah yeah absolutely um, and so we talked a bit about, you know, the chefs and the catering side of things, but in terms of, you know, nutrition professionals within the teams, where are things at now in sort of the women's world tour? Do you guys have access to nutritionists and dietitians now, or do you still have to source source your own, or where does that kind of sit now? Uh, yeah, for DSM, we do have have a team of nutritional nutrition professionals who work for the team, um, and it's actually, it's great. Like we really have the way the team set up. We have equal access to all the experts in our team as the world tour men and as the development team. Um, so it's quite nice that it works that way. Um, and yeah, they, they really help us work individually on, on nutrition goals and also, um, you know, communicate with the swingers and other staff to, to make sure that everything's being, around nutrition is being executed and in a good way um and then i would say it's um in in general or thinking of the whole peloton then i think only certain teams might have um dietitians work working within their structure while other riders have to still find their own maybe their own help yeah yeah fair enough um 
and I guess, I mean, the longest, we're talking about obviously multi-day events, probably the longest one that you guys do would be the, the Giro, which is usually around 10 stages. Um, do you find the setup for that event being sort of the, the longest and kind of that standout race in terms of length, uh, is it set up any different for that maybe compared to some of the shorter, maybe five, six day events? Or is it pretty much the same, just stretched out over a longer period of time? Yeah, I think the the overall setup is the same if it's a um, a short or a long stage race. Um, but then I was thinking that there's maybe other factors that are unique to each race that maybe play have a bigger impact on on what's happening with nutrition and and just the flow of of the race. Um, so some things could be like you know the transfer times um a race like the Giro you could have have to drive hours to the next location for the next stage compared to some stage races you stay at the same hotel the whole time and maybe you're super close um also like the timing of the stages could change depending on the race so like if you're eating or not eating if you race in the morning then you know you can eat one meal and and race and it simplifies it versus some races like um the the women who raced um in the spanish world tour races recently they were super late in the day so then you need to think like your nutrition is totally different and maybe you need two meals and snacks and things before um also things like double days i think change the setup and even just like the location and the culture of where you're racing so like in some places, like like Spain and Italy, they just eat dinner super late. And so the hotels will, it's normal for them to start dinner at nine o'clock. And maybe we have to fight them a little bit to have it a bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Or um, mm-hmm. versus North America, you might get served dinner like super early. So yeah, those are yeah. some differences I thought of. Yeah. Cool. Um, and so if, you think about stage, stage race um, nutrition, what are the sort of the main differences you see or you find doing a stage race compared to like a, a single um, a single day race? Yeah, I think the you're still trying to hit the same, I think, key concepts of fueling, but I think just mm-hmm. getting recovery right for the next day is so much more important within the context of a stage race um where you might get away with maybe mess with like one day if you're if you finished maybe a little empty it's not obviously it's not good for performance and not good in the uh, for the whole season you want to recover well um but for a stage race like you need to be good the next day again so i think that's the key, like eat, really eating for the next day and getting the recovery, making sure recovery is on yep. point. Yeah, yeah. So knowing that you've got like, yeah, another a stage the following day, um, does your nutrition on the bike change knowing that you've got a stage the following day or is it more in that post-nutrition um, part that, that it will change? Um, I think, yeah, we're still trying to, to, I guess, hit the same fueling goals during the race. And I think if 
yeah, it's even more important that we actually do hit them because, mm. of course, finishing the race already in a deficit is not going to help the next day. So aiming mm. for those, yeah, 60 to 90 grams <laughs> per hour of carbs um, during the race is super important. And one thing that we do as a team to, to kind of help us keep on track is before the race, um, the dietitians will give us maybe a, a plan that we could follow, or we can think of, think of it ourselves of, of how we're going to, we're going to execute that. And then after the race, we input what we actually ate and drank and see if it really lines up with that. Um, and yeah, personally, I find it really helpful to have that direct feedback and then it's possible to then make an adjustment for the next day. Um, and yeah, of, of course, then after the race, the just getting in the recovery nutrition right away is super important. So we start with a, a shake or, or a bar or something like that. And then, um, yeah, then we have a meal quite quickly available from the team. Yep. And do you find that things can get in the way of that recovery nutrition um, after just in terms of, um, I don't know, if you've got to uh, have to go to media or something like that, do you, do you have obstacles that, that you need to consider with nutrition for the post? Yeah, for sure. Um, there can be a lot of things that, that can get in the way. Um, so, of course, yeah, if you have to do media um, afterwards or... If you are have a great race, you're on the podium, or you're selected for drug testing, uh, these are really things that can impact where you're going to go and your yeah, of course, your time commitments after the race. Um, so it's really up to our our swinger helps us a lot in that in that position. So you no, know, he's we always have our, our swinger at the the finish line of a race um, already there with with a recovery shake to, to give us to make sure at least we're getting something right away. And then, um, based on where we have to go. So yeah, if it's to the podium or drug testing, then they make sure that we also have maybe a, a packed up meal or some pasta or something available to make sure that we are still getting, getting in the, the proper food, no matter what direction that we're heading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And have you seen um, other athletes or, you know, have you experienced it yourself where you um, perhaps haven't, um, you know, fueled well in a particular stage and then you felt the consequence of that in the following stage? Yeah, this has happened to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, um, I think it can happen. I don't have a specific example, but when it's really easy to forget to eat or drink when the racing is really stressful and Mm. you maybe you're just focused on something else and then it's so easy to to just make mistakes. And it can also happen like sometimes we'll miss speeds. So um, maybe it's just also really hectic in the feed zone and or it's maybe difficult to to get to the car in time um so that can also um yeah lead to lead to a bit of a deficit on the day Mm, yep and then what do you find then in the following day do you what do you notice when you're riding yeah i think the next day um like maybe more 
I mean, the the effort just feels higher than what it should for the intensity. And I think you might have, I've had like more muscle soreness. Um, just, yeah, I probably haven't slept or recovered as well. So maybe just like a more general tired feeling. Um, that's, yeah, in general, that's, that's how I would feel the next day. Yeah, yeah. And in um, in relation to like your during fueling um, in the in the stages, do you find um, with yourself and amongst the other um, athletes that you get sick of um, you know too much sweetness or like we were talking um, before about for some athletes it, it actually isn't always the sweetness; it can be the texture. Mm-hmm. um of of what they're feeding what tends to be the experience that you and um your other colleagues have yeah i i would agree yeah you can start to maybe get tired of the the sweetness or maybe the same foods over the course of a stage race um especially like the zero of 10 days of racing it can mm-hmm. can kind of build up um so then it is it is nice for those longer stage races to maybe have some variety and especially at least starting the stages maybe with some some more solid food options and whether it's bars or just some different flavored rice cakes or something to like add some variety to the day. Um, I think that can that can help quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's your favorite during fuel um, option? Uh yeah, if I'm if I'm gonna cook things or bake things myself, then I, I really like making banana bread on the bike. <laughs> That's my favorite. Oh, nice. I was gonna say I've seen a lot of creations of yours on on Instagram. Oh, yeah. You uh, spent spent a lot of time preparing for training rides, possibly almost <laughs> as long as the ride itself. It's possible, yeah. But then I just so I mean I think it helps my fueling goals because then when I'm out there, I'm really excited to eat whatever I've yeah. made. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Fair yeah. enough. Do you like Biscoff? Biscoff. Uh, yeah, have not, you heard of that? I haven't tried that. No. What is it? Uh, this is an ongoing joke with the podcast. So uh, Biscoff are these biscuits that come, I think it's from Belgium, and they're kind of this um, sort of caramel and cinnamon flavoured um, oh. biscuits. But they then make it into a spread. So it's like it's kind of like a consistency of peanut butter, but it's just basically <laughs> these crushed biscuits mixed with, I think, a bit of oil and and probably a bit of extra sugar or something. But anyway, one of one of our very first <laughs> athlete guests ever, Jeff Coat, who's a pro triathlete here in Australia, uh, yeah. she's obsessed with this stuff, and it's been an ongoing joke in the podcast. She's managed to get Steph addicted to it, and uh, and I think a couple of listeners as well have become addicted to it, Steph. <laughs> yeah um did you yeah so you have to get the crunchy oops make sure you get the crunchy spread not the smooth yeah um so but now and now that i see it i i do know it so in in europe you know they, call it? It, they call it speculose and oh yeah. yes that's so i have yes. had it and i i don't let myself buy it Oh, only because <laughs> I know how dangerous it is. You should put but... it on your banana bread. We've we've made banana bread with this. Okay, that sounds good. But uh, uh, I will say, so the best thing, some of the race hotels, they have like the small packs, you know, of the the little peanut butters or the little jams, and they'll yeah, have little yes. packs of, 
of speculos and that oh. can be a nice addition to a pre-race yeah. meal <laughs> yeah that sounds in good. a portion controlled yeah. <laughs> package <laughs> well it's generally like we're looking at it it's got a lot more carbs and a lot less fat than peanut butter so you could probably work it mm-hmm. into into there from a recovery point of view at, at some stage. Um, mm. But I'm interested in, Leah, do you have any, like when you, you look at the recovery side of things, uh, obviously, you know, post-stage it can be quite hectic, as you said, there's a lot of sort of unpredictability about, you know, whether you're going to be selected for drug tests or, you know, if you've made the podium, then you've got to go off and do all of that or, or you know, transfers are different each stage. But, uh, I mean, I guess regardless of the, the practicalities and the logistics, do you have in your mind sort of specific goals that you're trying to hit in your recovery in terms of like protein or carbohydrate or fluid like how do you kind of think about that and, and what sort of targets do you have in the back of your mind that I'm, I'm trying in the perfect world this is what I'm trying to achieve yeah I think in the perfect world I'm trying to to follow the the guidelines that that we know about sports nutrition and proper recovery so yeah like getting in so 20 to 30 grams of protein as, as soon as possible and getting in yeah a good amount of, of carbohydrates and what's it 1.2 grams per kilogram <laughs> or more yeah yep. um and of course yeah replacing fluids as, as fast as possible as well um yeah i think in the ideal world just trying to, to actually follow the the guidelines and, and get all those things in um that's yeah we know that there's evidence that that works. So, um, but yeah, of course, sometimes it's it's harder to execute in person than in the real world. Do you find with that recovery nutrition part um, that sometimes, like, do you struggle with having an appetite after um, after a stage, or or is that never really a a significant issue? Yeah, no, I have I have struggled with this a bit and. Um, I'd say my biggest challenges have been maybe experiencing gut issues during the race from from not getting my fueling right or not tolerating something how I maybe anticipated. Um, and then, yeah. you know, after the race, then it's it's hard to want to, you know, mm-hmm. eat more or have a recovery drink when, you know, you mm-hmm. might have stomach cramps or, or feeling a bit mm-hmm. sick. Um so that's probably been my biggest challenge. Yeah, it's like it's important to get it right in the race so that I can actually execute a good recovery strategy. Yeah. And do you find um, then getting uh, like with the recovery nutrition, taking it kind of, I guess, a bit more small and gradual over time versus in a big hit is better tolerated or... Um, yeah, I think that that is a good strategy and something I I would do in that case. Like, mm. yeah, at least if, I, if I'm not feeling so good, at least have something, maybe not a huge mm. meal right away, but at least something yeah. to get the recovery process started. And then, yeah, hopefully just with a little bit of, of time, then I can really um, accelerate my, my nutrition again. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And during that time, like after a stage, um, you know, as you said, you know, it depends on the, the time of day that the stage finishes and, and then what time dinner is served and all that kind of stuff. 
does it feel logistically like it's almost a race against time to fit all of the stuff in that you yeah. want to eat for the day? Like are you sort of saying, oh, I have to eat it this quick, quick, quick because I don't have enough time left before it's bedtime <laughs> kind of thing? Or is it more kind of stretched out and it's it's not it's a bit more relaxed? Well, it's it really depends on the race, I think. Mm. Yeah. Just in general, I think yeah, if you're racing um earlier in the day, then you know, you do have a lot of time to kind of stretch out and and um yeah have more recovery meal opportunities whereas yeah if you finish racing and it's late and you're doing a long transfer and they're also trying to fit in like massages and um a meeting and all of this stuff then then just in general everything can feel very rushed heading into Mm. the next day already Mm. yeah for sure um so for the listeners who may not be at that elite end um, of the sport what changes in nutrition um, when you kind of move from junior and domestic racing then to the more professional um, level or are the concepts still very much the same um, or are there sort of key areas that you you find does do change mm-hmm. yeah i think the same basic principles of good sport nutrition remain the same whether you're at the yeah junior or pro level um but it's really like the quantity that goes up a lot as you progress and and just the load and training and racing increases a lot and then you have to adjust your nutrition to actually reflect that and um yeah especially at the highest level like the the loads are just so high that it's really easy to fall behind if you're not making those adjustments. And, um, yeah, of course, like logistically, I think it changes a lot. Um, when you're young, you know, you're eating at home, preparing your own food and you have a lot more control over that versus then, yeah, eating within a protein structure. There's, I think you have to be a lot more flexible and adaptable, especially like with what's available on the road and from your team and, uh, yeah, we just talked a lot about a lot about the different situations that you might encounter. So there, there's definitely some some big differences between between the two. Yeah. Did you ever find that a difficult adjustment? Like as the volume went up, as you said, you kind of got to uh, the the volume of food sort of has to go up to to match the extra training and and racing volume. Was that a struggle for you, or did you find your appetite kind of took care of itself? Yeah, I think. Reflecting, I think I did make some mistakes at some points that of maybe not realizing this and just I was just eating how I was used to eating. But then thinking back, I'm like, oh, there's definitely periods of time where I was under fueling and not getting the most out of my training and definitely had some negative effects coming through and that were impacting my racing. Um, and yeah, I think it's sometimes you don't realize it until after the fact. Um, but it's it's definitely something to be aware of that I would I would tell to other people. Mm. Yeah, you've pretty yeah. much answered that other question then. Anything <laughs> you know about sports nutrition that you wish you knew at the start of your career? So um, I guess one of them may be fueling for the work required or your training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, refu- or fueling for the work required is a big one, and um, I think finding 
yeah, finding that balance, you know, there's the eating for, I don't know, learning to eat for, for health and eating for performance. And that sometimes, you know, you need to focus a little bit more on one to make sure you're getting enough fuel. And then at other times, you know, you can focus more on maybe the, the, the foods that are fueling for health. Um, yep. But then, and I was also thinking, yeah, like what did I wish I maybe knew earlier on was just, you know, more about this um, proper timing and, and kinds of amounts to food of foods to take in because when I was young, I think I, I had a lot of gut rot after races. And, but at the time, you know, you just, uh, my idea of good sports nutrition was you ate a lot of gels and you drank a lot of Gatorade and that's what you did. Um, but now I think we, we just know a lot more and have, have better products available as well. So. Yeah. One thing I was, oh, sorry, I forgot to ask you before, but you, you reminded me then when you were talking about sort of the underfueling. Do you ever find in a stage race that it can go the other way and you're at risk of actually overfueling? Yeah, actually, I do think that is a risk um, because, yeah, you know, you have some, some stages are going to be easier, some are harder, some are shorter, some are longer. So you do need to still be aware of what the demands are for that day. Um, and... It is, yeah, it is a, a potential issue that you could overfuel. Um, and I know that that could have a bigger impact on, on a longer race. So I'm sure like for the, the men's um, three-week ground tours, then that could have a significant impact. If if you overfuel every day, then by the end, you might actually end up um, heavier than when you started, which probably isn't helpful for performance. Um mm. But, uh, yeah, I guess it, it can go both ways. <laughs> so it's difficult mm. to get it perfectly yeah. right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and I've certainly seen that, and you probably have as well, Steph, um, like working with people that have done sort of charity events, which is like multiple days, you know, maybe 10 days of riding, um, you know, maybe 1,000 kilometres over 10 days or something, uh, which, you know, for some people is a real stretch compared to what they're, they're used to doing. Uh, and so they go out and think, oh, I'm just going to eat all this food because I'm doing all this work. And they, they end up coming out of the, the end of the week or two or however long the event is, um, you know, two, three, four kilos heavier than when they when they started. Have you mm. seen that, Steph, as well? Mm, they like the, I think the buffet um, aspect <laughs> gets a bit too appealing for them. And the social aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. the novelty yeah. of, uh, of the catering. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. They could benefit from from maybe consulting with an expert and having a, a good plan going into it. <laughs> so, yeah, having enough, but only enough, I guess, is, is the thing there, yeah. All right, well, let's head into our bonus round now. So this is where we find out a, a little bit more about you, Leah, outside of nutrition um, and a little bit outside of cycling as well. Um, so the first question, if you could do anything besides what you are doing now, what do you think you'd do? That's a very good question. <laughs> I think I might, um, I might be a scientist or I'd, I could also be a cross-country ski racer. That was my other favorite sport growing up. So I could actually just be a, a pro athlete in another discipline. <laughs> um, yep. Yeah, there's a few ideas. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Do you still get to ski much these days? Uh, I'm 
Not as much as I would like to, but it's great cross-training for cycling when I do have the chance. Mm. Yeah, I grew up doing cross-country skiing as well, but like in Australia, our opportunity is obviously a lot less than it is in, <laughs> in North America or Europe. Uh, you know, it's, it's a good couple of hours to even get to a ski field, and even then it's it's nothing, obviously, like what you guys have got over there. <laughs> yeah, it's necessary for it. We need something to do in the winter. So. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, fair enough. Um favorite thing to eat or drink after a hard ride yeah i'd say so my taste changed depending on the season so my favorite thing in winter when it's really cold and miserable rides then i like to make recovery hot chocolate so i'll mix Mm -hmm. like protein powder with Mm -hmm. with cocoa powder maple syrup and it's just a super nice way to recover and warm up after those rides Mm -hmm. and then in the summer i think i really like smoothie bowls so yeah, banana yep. and mm-hmm. Greek yogurt and just something cold to, to help cool down and recover from from those really hot days. Yep. Now, being Canadian, is there anything that you don't add maple syrup to? No, it goes in everything. <laughs> <laughs> flows through my veins. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember talking about BC and the mountain biking there. And we were talking um, in one of our previous episodes with Karen Hill, who's a, an Australian mountain biker, but she went over and did the BC race. And, and they have the, the strips of bacon with the maple on them that they hand mm-hmm. out at the feed stations. Yeah, that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So there you go, mountain biking. You can go do that and eat bacon. Um, a sport that you've never done before, but you've always thought, oh, that'd be awesome to, to give it a go one day. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought that's, I really want to try scuba diving. That sounds really yeah, cool. Right. And I know you have a lot of great scuba diving around Australia, so maybe I need to try yes, it there. Yes. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Um, sport aside, anything else on your bucket list that you, you haven't done yet? Uh, it's a bit related to sport, I guess. But I, I really want to do a bikepacking trip down the Pacific mm. Coast Highway, so starting like in Canada and then riding to... California, I think it would be really fun and so beautiful. Stunning. Yeah, yeah, stunning bit of coastline there for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, and the final question, and we've had all sorts of answers to this one. <laughs> one thing you always have to take with you when you're traveling. This is actually where the Biscoff first came up because uh, uh, Emma mm-hmm. was saying she can't travel without it. But um, anything for you? Uh, yeah, a couple of things. I think my so my coffee setup is very important. So. I always just, at least wherever I am and however good or bad breakfast is, then I know I can always start the day with a good cup of coffee if I have my AeroPress and everything. And then another thing that I travel with to my own personal camps and places like that is I bring my own chef's knife because it's so, yeah, it's one of my pet peeves to try to cook with dull knives. And so it just... tell me about it. Yeah, so I like to bring my own knife. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, we've had AeroPress before. I can't remember who who else said that, Steph, but um, yeah. Yeah, and also Sam, I think, was talking about knives. Yeah, well, he was saying, this is Sam MP who works with um, Bike Exchange. Oh, yeah. And and he was saying that um, Nikki, one of the chefs there, had given him a knife that he'd won in a competition. (laughs) And it was this amazing knife. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, awesome. All right, well, 
Thank you so much for your time, Leah. It's been great to chat about multi-stage events and I guess, you know, some of the things, particularly around the recovery side of things that people maybe haven't thought about before, both, uh, I guess, the science side, but particularly the, the practical and the logistical sort of aspects that, that people have to consider. So thank, thank you so much for that. Obviously, best of luck for the rest of the year. You've got obviously some big goals coming up and some big races. So we look forward to watching on and, and seeing how you go in all of those. Yeah, thank you so much. It was really nice talking. All right, fantastic to hear from Leah Kirchman and get her take on all things nutrition for stage racing. Um, very impressive in terms of her knowledge as an athlete. Um, and, and obviously, as, as we said, you know, seeing the, the time and effort she puts into preparing her nutrition. Um, yeah, it's, it's really nice to see athletes that are so switched on and engaged with their nutrition because uh, that often happens, but it's not always guaranteed. So, Steph, do you want to give us a little bit of a, a summary, I guess, of the sort of things we've discussed with Leah and, and I guess with James Moran last week as well in terms of nutrition considerations for multi-day events? Mm, yep. Um, yeah, I think Leah gave, you know, just some really good examples, I guess, of what um, James had said uh, in terms of multi-stage racing. So um, I think some of the key things uh, for her and in her racing when we spoke about, you know, is your nutrition strategy different from when you're doing a, you know, maybe a one-day event compared to multi-stage I guess the main things that are that are different, it may not necessarily at times be the during nutrition intake, um, depending on the stages, but it's more than um, the kind of the recovery because she has to obviously back it up each day. So, um, you know, really honing in on her recovery nutrition strategies um, so that she can enter into the next stage um, ready, uh, ready for it. So the the key things that we spoke about in terms of recovery and nutrition being um i guess our traditional approach of talking about the three r's with recovery and nutrition so looking at the refueling with carbohydrate the repairing with protein the rehydration with fluids um, were some of the key things that she'll focus on once she's off the bike um, and the, I guess the, some of the logistical things that can happen when, you know, the riders off the bike is, okay, well, maybe they've got to go do media, um, or there's things that can be kind of put in their way, certain obstacles. So they usually will always have like, I guess, James called it a carer, um, that will at least be able to hand them something immediately so that they can start their nutrition recovery process. Um, and then when they've got more time, then be able to, you know, dig in further. But um, she herself has noticed when she hasn't gotten it right, you know, maybe she hasn't given herself enough in terms of that recovery nutrition and she's felt the impacts um, on the, the following day and the, the following stage, just not having enough in the legs and just not feeling as good and performing as well. Um, and yeah, she spoke about her, uh, you know, her cooking, her banana bread, I think was, was one of the key things. And I guess just in terms of, you know, talking about flavor fatigue, 
um, and how, you know, she found found that because when we were speaking to James, he was sort of saying how the writers kind of get sick of that consistency and it's not necessarily the flavour as such. Um, so I think for Leah it's probably a bit of both. It was, yeah, mm. sweet, savoury and texture. Yeah. Um, yeah, for, for her from memory. Um, and I guess, uh, you know, um, some of the things as well is just with the accommodation uh, that they go to. I know she said like sometimes when you go to accommodation you could you could have exceptional um, food and service and, and catering, but then other um, places that they go to it could be bare minimum. So, uh, you know, one big thing that her team always does is make sure that they've always got, you know, good brekkie and good supplies for that so they always know that um, that's at least something quite consistent uh, mm. and then just I guess hopefully planning in advance on what will be at that accommodation ideally. Mm. Yeah and I think it's interesting like um, she talked about obviously the fact that as you go from sort of juniors into domestic racing and then into professional racing um, you know obviously the basic nutrition principles don't change you know physiology is physiology the things that you need for recovery don't change from a fundamental nutrition science perspective but obviously the logistical challenges that get in the way are not necessarily I don't think they're necessarily greater or lesser they're just different so you know when you get to that professional level things like your hotel you know your accommodation well you don't have control over that because someone else is organizing the accommodation for you so you don't have that opportunity to actually go online and look and go has it got a decent kitchen what facilities has it got what things do i need to take with me but for recreational athletes that's all within their control because they're most likely booking their own accommodation and so mm -hmm. you have far more control over the food supply from that perspective and you know she talked about you know things like uh, you know podium ceremonies media drug testing uh, long sort of bus transfers to the start of a next stage, they're all, I guess, logistical issues that are fairly exclusive to professional cycling. You're not going to have that in, um, say, like ultra running stage races or, um, you know, mountain bike events or something like that, at least, you know, not for the majority of people. But there are other logistical challenges that will potentially get in the way that the professionals don't have. You know, if, mm. if you're in a, a cycling type event, um, most likely you're going to have to wash down your bike, do any mechanical work on it, get it ready for the next day, whereas the professionals have mechanics that do that while mm -hmm. they're having to do media and drug tests and things like that. So I don't think it's necessarily that one is more difficult than the other. It's just that the challenges are a little bit different. So just have mm -hmm. a think about what are all the things that might get in my way and be a barrier to getting sort of optimal nutrition in, in terms of the amount, the type and the timing of that. Um, and how am I going to overcome those? And so again, you know, just like we talked about in the single day ultra stuff, planning, 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 just being organized before you get there, anticipating what these barriers are going to be and having a plan or a strategy for overcoming those and then being flexible because obviously, you know, you, you know, things never always turn out exactly the way that you expect them to. Um, mm, yep. is a, I guess a way to overcome that for, for any athlete of, of any level in, in any sport. Mm, yeah. Yep. And then I guess like Leah has now created like a nice introduction to our next um, uh, question that we're going to tackle because we've been wanting to, to tackle this one in a bit more detail. We've kind of in looking at nutrition for multi-stage events, we've been 
talking about recovering nutrition, but we haven't as yet kind of had a particular question specifically on recovery. Uh, so we wanted to look at, well, what is, you know, what are all the things about recovering nutrition? What, wh how do we optimize on our recovery? And obviously, Alan, you and I um, have been lucky enough uh, to be, uh, I guess, around that research that's been going on at Monash University. And so our colleague, Isabella Russo, um, you know, did her PhD in the area of, uh, I guess, the broad topic, sports nutrition recovery. Um, and so we thought, who better than to get uh, Isabella um, on on the podcast from the UK now she's left us uh, and talk about how do I optimize my on my on my recovery yeah absolutely so uh, yeah Bella did a lot of work in in her PhD around that which is great and we sort of alluded to this um, through these last couple of episodes but also when we spoke to Ben Desbro a while back about beer you know, post-exercise or whether that's a problem or not. I guess that's looking at is it going to be an impediment to recovery or not? And we sort of answered that, that a beer or two is probably not going to be, which is great. Uh, but we talked there about the R's of recovery, and you mentioned them earlier, the sort of the traditional three R's in terms of, um, you know, refuel, repair, rehydration. And and Bella's work sort of expanded on that, and we, we mentioned that to with Ben in that that podcast about you know having five hours potentially and then he added the sixth sort of relaxation as well so uh we'll yeah we'll, we'll get into that next week in in episode 14a talking about i guess the the five or, or six if you like hours of of recovery um and, and what that means from a nutrition point of view and and what people can do to make sure they optimize their recovery whether it's from your know, hard training session or where you might say you know triathletes that might have double you know a morning and an afternoon session for example uh, how you back up from one to the next as best you can or you know as we've just talked about in in a multi-day race situation as well obviously the concepts will be the same yeah yeah cool looking forward to that one mm. uh so i guess the some of the key things if you do have any questions please uh shoot them through to us on our social media we are on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at The Long Munch and please give us a listen uh, on we're on all your popular platforms at The Long Munch. Yep, and, yeah, if anyone wants to give us a, a review or rating on iTunes, uh, the little star one's very quick and easy to do. Uh, we'd definitely appreciate that as well. Cool. Uh, until then, we look forward to joining you next time with Isabella Russo. Yeah, we'll do. See everyone next week. Bye.